the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Jay LaFoon is with us, folks. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Jay LaFoon's in Michigan. We're glad he's here. Uh, Jeff Sennis, by the way, is getting us on the air. He's the engineer. And Andrew Herdliska, our producer, nailed down Jay LaFoon in Michigan. And, Jay, it's wonderful to welcome you to Orlando. How are you? It's great to be here. Happy to spend some time with you and doing fantastic. The name of the book Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. Why was uh, this book important to write, Jay? Well, I think as fathers, we we desire to have a relationship with our kids, but uh, God created us to be side-by-side. We're shoulder-to-shoulder relationship kind of people. Um, And so doing activities with the kids as opposed to sitting across the table and chatting uh, seems to be more our style. And I know for a lot of dads, they, they, they want to do stuff, but they're not creative. They haven't thought about it. They don't have time to think about it. And so we put this little field manual together um, just for them. All you got to do is open it up, and there's all sorts of activities for you to do with your kids. You open up rock climbing. Uh, tell us more. Well, uh, there's a lot of rock climbing um facilities in the in the in the country where you can go and, and pay a modest fee and safely do indoor climbing walls. Um, I know right here in our little town uh, here in Michigan, our college has one and you can take lessons, you can learn. Um, but it's a, a very fun activity. Almost anybody can do it. Um, you know, you're probably, probably not going to do it with a three-year-old, but from on up, uh, certainly. And um, really an an awesome time to be challenged um, as a dad and as kids to maybe do something a little out of their comfort zone. Bonfire. Bonfire. Everybody loves a good bonfire and to be able to, you know, take uh, uh, marshmallows out there and, and uh, do something fun. Uh, Clearly you have to get permits if you're in a city or if you're, uh, in a township or, or whatever that doesn't allow open flames. But um, you can always find a park or uh, a camp a campground that would allow you to build a bonfire together. And, um, you know, it's a real great opportunity to uh, talk about the tongue because James, uh, the book of James, uh, in chapter 3, verse 5, it talks about how that tongue is a, like a spark of a flame. And um, 
so what we do with the book is try and not just have an activity, but have a purpose behind the activity. And so as you're reading through the different chapters, every chapter will have a, a section that talks about getting closer together with your kids and then also closer to God. And we really feel like that's an important thing um, is, is that we're not just having activities with our kids, but we're really looking at, at making an impact for the kingdom of God with them as well. Pizza making. <laughs> Who doesn't like pizza, Pat? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Everybody likes pizza. And um, a really simple way to make personal pizzas at home is to get uh, some flour tortillas and get a bunch of different toppings out on the counter and let every kid make their own pizza. And um, you can talk about how each pizza is going to be unique and different. And especially if you've got a lot of kids in your family, um, you can talk about the fact that that we're all very unique and we've all been made by God to be very uh, fiercely and wonderfully made. And, and so we're making our pizzas the way we wanted to make it because God's made us different and special. And, and I really believe this, that God has put a thumbprint, a uniqueness on each of, of the kids that, that dads have, um, special gifts and abilities. I know our two kids could not have been different as, as we, we had them growing up. Um, one was very uh, outgoing and one was very quiet and um, both of them very uh, good students, but one um, just didn't like school. <laughs> um, so it just, uh, you know, that, that pizza making allows them to do something very creative that's themselves. And and if they do it, they'll like school? Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Kite flying. Now, I know this one is really big in the um, springtime here in Michigan, and I, I see it all the time on the beaches in Florida, all the time, where there's, you know, people flying kites. And you can go to all extremes and, and get some really expensive kites, or you can go to your, your local uh, uh, department store and just get a, a nice cheap one. But um, we talk about the fact that, that flying kites reminds us especially if you're doing it in the spring, um, that there's a time for everything under the sun, that uh, a, a time for planting, a time for harvest. And that springtime, at least here up in the upper Midwest, is a real time where life begins to explode. The trees explode. The ground explodes with, with life. And, and uh, just talking about how God can do that in our own lives as well. Outdoor movie night. Now, this one is, uh, is quite fun. Um, we did it a lot uh, with our kids, and that is to just basically find a way to put up a, a big bed sheet uh, out in your, in your backyard. And we had a uh, projector that we used for our business that we would bring home, and, and we would put in a VCR and, and do a movie and sit on the grass and eat popcorn and, and just uh, have a, a good time outdoors. So it was kind of a uh, adventurous kind of thing. And um, then after the movie, you, you, you shut the movie off and you can stare at the stars and um, talk about, you know, the God who made those heavens. He, he loves you. My guest is Jay LaFoon. He's in Michigan. His book, Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. How about budget battle? What's that mean, Jay? Oh, budget battle. Let me find that one in the book here. Um, 
budget battle. Okay. Um, that is, <laughs> yeah, this is a, this was really fun. Um, you take your kids and you, you go to a local thrift store and, you know, a, 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 like a Goodwill or a secondhand store or a Salvation Army, and you give everybody $5 or three or two or however much you want to give them and, and ask them, come and, and purchase something unique that is for them. And um, it's a great way to teach kids how to handle money. Uh, it's a great way to begin helping them understand about stewardship. Uh, the Bible talks a lot about money and about stewardship. And so this is one way to kind of help them see what they can buy, both fun and useful, with their money. What is, what is geocaching? Geocaching. This is a, a kind of a really new thing. Um, people uh, randomly hide uh, little trinkets in the woods, in, um, in, in, in cities, in towns, in parks. And you can actually go on a geocache website and download an app that will tell you, give you hints as to where these trinkets are in your area. And so it's, it's like going on a treasure hunt, Pat. It's, it's tremendous. It's a lot of fun. And um, kind of the cool thing is when you find the trinket, it's usually in some sort of a sealed container that you can unseal. And there's usually a um, uh, paper and pen or paper and pencil in there. And you write down your name and your kids' names and the date that you found this treasure. And um, it's a great way to talk about hiding the treasure of God's love in our hearts. That, that that thrill of seeking treasure, and, it, and that treasure is hidden in our heart. Jay, uh, what is a photo scavenger hunt? <laughs> well, uh, you've probably been to a wedding where they, they put disposable cameras on the table and say, take pictures of all your table mates and make sure we want to know everybody who's here. Well, you can also do that with your kids. Get disposable cameras, or you can even use, if, if all your kids have phones, if they're a little bit older, and um, make a list, a scavenger hunt list of things that they need to photograph. And, um, you know, it can be random things, and, and then you can ask them, well, which of these photos did you find most unique? And were any that you thought were kind of, that's kind of gross, Dad? And, and why, why do you think we take pictures? You know, ask them that question. Well, to commemorate certain events. And um, it, it really is a great way to help them understand that um, those events, those, those things that we capture are like God capturing our heart. And even if we were the last one on earth, he would, he would come after us and snap a picture. Now it's time for berry or apple picking. Yeah, and this is just kind of a, um, it, it depends on, your geographic location. Um, I know there's, you pick orange groves down there in Florida, um, so where people can go and pick their own oranges or grapefruits. And um, it's just a fun activity to help kids see that, you know, the food that we're provided, someone has grown that, someone has nurtured that, someone has cared for that. And, um, and then it is a very simple, if you're doing berries or apples or some sort of a fruit, um, it's a very easy uh, segue into talking about the fruit of the Spirit, um, love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and really kind of asking your kids to think about growing that kind of fruit 
in the soil of their heart. Now, random acts of service. We actually did this as a family. Um, we included mom in this when we did this back in the day. But from time to time, um, especially in the fall here in Michigan, we would take a Saturday morning and um, we would go rake leaves at, a, at, at one of the elderly women's house in our, in our church. We would, you know, pick different women every, every fall. But um, just take a couple hours. And I think one of the most important things we can teach our kids, and, and we really teach them this through actions, is to um, serve others. God calls us to serve others. And it's funny because everybody moans and groans on the way there. And then after, after doing the act of service, after raking those leaves and doing it together and seeing the gratitude on the heart and on the face of the, the person you've done that for, it really reminds us that, that serving, we get as much out of serving as those who we serve. Jay LaFoon is our guest. His book, Ultimate Dad Night. We have another segment with Jay. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Now, here's Pat. Jay LaFoon has written the book, Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. All right, Jay, hotel pajama and swim party. Uh, <laughs> what's this about? Well, this is for this is uh, for those kids. When you get those 8, 9, 10-year-old kids, um, going to a hotel is very, you know, uh, fun and special. And again, um, if it's got a swimming pool, be it an indoor or an outdoor swimming pool, um, you know kids can spend hours and hours and hours in a swimming pool. Um, and, and so what, what the objective is is to have just a, a, a night out at a hotel where we're going to check in at 4 o'clock and we're going to swim till 8 or 9 o'clock at night. The kids are going to be exhausted. <laughs> But we're going to get up the next morning, and before we check out at 11, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to get up, and we're going to swim and have fun. But it really is to exhaust the kids, to teach them the importance of rest. You know, even God rested on the seventh day. And um, just that we can really get, we can work so hard and have so much fun, but then we've really got to take some time and rest. What do you mean by nerf fun? <laughs> well, um, I'll True confession, uh, Nerf, Nerf uh, toys came out when I was a, a young child, and um, I absolutely loved them. So this was no greater one for me to put in the book is to go to your, your local uh, Walmart or, or other store and go to the toy department, and there are all sorts of different kind of um, Nerf toys that you can play with. And um, what you're going to do is you're going to either – if you, you've got a big enough house to – Big enough playroom, you can play inside or you can go outside. And um, you divide into teams and you play tag with the Nerf projectiles. So these these Nerf toys project little, oh, they're kind of styrofoam projectiles. They're not going to hurt anybody or put on an eye. And um, it, you just run around playing tag. 
And it really is uh, a gentle reminder uh, from Matthew uh, chapter 18 that says, unless you become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So just go out and play and have fun uh, and use a Nerf toy. Tell me about Bowling Bonanza. Sure. Bowling is one of those uh, activities that, unless you play it all the time, no one's really good at it. So it can lead to a lot of laughs because, you know, even Dad throws a gutter ball from time to time. And if you've got little ones, um, they've got little bumpers that they put in the gutters and to keep people from throwing gutter balls. They've got little ramps that you roll the ball down. Um, so it really is something that could be done for any age, age range. But um, it, it, it's an opportunity to have fun, go out, maybe somebody throws a strike or two, um, but no one's going to throw 12 in a row, at least unless, unless they're you know, a professional. And so we're always going to miss the mark some way. And to let the kids know that no one's perfect except for Jesus himself, and that in that imperfection, Jesus can use and change us. What is disc golf? Well, we used to call them Frisbees back in the day, but they have become, um, like everything else, technology has really changed them into amazing flying discs. And you can now buy discs that are made to go far, discs that are made to turn left, discs that are made to turn right, um, and and everything in between. And um, most communities have free disc golf courses. And what that is is there's literally 18 quote-unquote holes only for disc golf. They use these um, standing baskets. And um, it's a great opportunity to take a walk in nature with your kids. And and, and to me, as a, as a guy, um, there is nothing like being in God's creation. And, um, again, uh, when you're out there just pausing from time to time and saying, look at that tree, oh, look at those squirrels playing over there, you know, this is God's creation. And he did this because he, he loves us. What does museum mayhem mean? Museum mayhem. Well, the mayhem is really, you know, just a word that, that had started with M. But um, we're actually thinking about doing this in a, in a week, but taking our grandkids to a museum in the town that they live in. And basically going uh, to, a, to a museum and really um, wander through the exhibit, ma- making notes. Okay, so on your phone or in a, in a notepad, if you have making notes of everything that you found beautiful or interesting. And every child's going to be different. Some, some are going to find this interesting. Some are going to find that interesting. Um, but again, the, the biblical truth we're trying to share with them is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, which says, God made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And as beautiful as the museum pieces and the art in the museum is, the best creation ever, the best piece of art ever, was God creating us humans. And we need to remember that. Tell me about birdhouse building. Yes. This is one that's really, really fun for the littles, the the three, four, five-year-olds. You can go to pretty much any craft store, and you can find a little kit to build a birdhouse. 
and um, you build the birdhouse. It mostly glues together. So even those of us like myself who are um, challenged with building things, they're usually pretty simple. Um, you can buy some paint and paint them different colors. And um, basically then after that, uh, you put them somewhere visible from your home um, in a tree or, or you know, on a, on a fence post. And we watch over the next few days to see if a, if, if a bird will actually make it its home. And um, classic, classic uh, uh, passage of scripture that goes with this is in Luke. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. And so, again, just that, that we're, we're doing this activity side by side, but the purpose is to always, always point us back to the Lord. What is the difference, Jay, between indoor camping and outdoor camping? <laughs> Flush toilets. <laughs> um, well, yeah, uh, everyone likes to go camping, but sometimes, uh, especially here in Michigan, um, there are seasons where camping is not possible. And probably sometimes there, even in Florida, it gets maybe too hot to camp. Um, so what are we going to do? We're going to pitch a tent right in the living room. We're going to move the furniture aside, and we're going to pitch a tent, or we're going to make a tent with tarps or, or blankets. And uh, we're going to pretend like we're camping, and we're going to read with flashlights, and we're going to tell ghost stories and all sorts of stuff like that. But the um, bottom line is this. You're making a memory and just doing something different that you might find silly, but your kids are going to, you know what? Dad, I'll never forget that because it was such a, a fun time that we laughed and we giggled and we, we actually you know, had that time together. And I think that is, that is one of the, the real goals of this book is to create memories for you and your kids because um, as those of us who are a little, little seasoned know, um, it's a blink and they're gone. It's an absolute blink, and they're gone. So indoor camping, it beats outdoor camping every day. <laughs> Jay, I wish I could have had you as a father. My goodness gracious, this is just unbelievable. I mean, it sounds like every weekend there's something going on, including bikes and ice cream. Yeah, we, um, we, we live exactly a mile and a half uh, from a really nice park, and uh, an ice cream store. And so from time to time, you know, the kids would go to the ice cream store every day. But um, what we would do is we would bike into the park. And I got to tell you, Laura did this, uh, my wife did this much more often than I did because she likes to bike much more than I do. But dad, we can bike too. And so you bike to the park together and um, you play, you, you run them around and get them, get them worn out. And then you, you go get some ice cream and you cool off with the ice cream. And um, it was uh, uh, just a, an opportunity to, again, make a memory. Um, but one of the fun things to do is to ask the kids why they, they picked the, the flavor ice cream that they picked down. Um, and, it, you know, it, it will vary. Some just like chocolate chips. And some, my, uh, my granddaughter likes the color purple. So she wants any kind of ice cream that's purple. Um, but uh, it really is, again, a, a chance to share with them the idea that, that God does provide for us. You know, Dad, Dad's paying for the ice cream. It's a special treat. Um, but the bottom line is God always provides. And now tell us about ninja training. Where does that fit? This is one of my favorites. And I got to tell you, 
Um, we just used to call it obstacle courses, okay, back in the day. But there's a, a television program on now called American Ninja Warrior. And basically, um, they create a bunch of different obstacles, and the kids race through them. Now, you know, mom's going to have a screaming fit because someone's going to break a leg, and that may happen. But you know what? Um, it's also <laughs> a lot of fun. And so whether you've got, you know, chairs or tires or or rocks or whatever, you, you make an obstacle in your backyard, an obstacle course, and um, you time each other. And, you know, you jump from spare tire to spare tire or see how long you can hold on to a swing without sitting on it, you know, test your grip strength and, and that kind of stuff. And it really is, again, just a chance, you know, for dads to be out there alongside cheering them on, encouraging them, and, and understanding the, the truth that, again, you, you, you train for this kind of thing, but not you can't train for an obstacle course. But that whole disciplining ourselves to become like Christ and how important that is um, as we journey through this life. Jay, I'm so grateful that you had time for us. What a, what a book. What, what, uh, I mean, any dad or any grandfather, it seems to me, should be all over this book. Uh, yeah, it really, and, and don't, it really is, and don't, tell of all your, don't tell your kids you got it all out of the book. Make them think that, oh, I, my dad thought that up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ultimate Dad Night, 75 Amazing Activities for Dads and Kids. Thanks for joining us here for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We have got more after this. So stay with us. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Jay LaFoon, our guest in that first segment. Enjoyed chatting with Jay. I want to welcome Tony Bartlett to Orlando. He's in Syracuse, New York, leader of the Bethany Center for Nonviolent Theology and Spirituality. His new book, Unbecoming a Priest. Tony, so nice to catch up with you, and welcome to Orlando. Well, thank you, Pat. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm I'm happy to be with you. Before we dive into the book, uh, tell me a little bit about the Bethany Center for Nonviolent Theology and Spirituality. Can you describe that for us? Yeah, I mean, uh, my wife and I came over to the United States uh, back in the early 90s uh, with my two young kids. We had another child when we were here, and we always have tried to create uh, a Christian community around us, and little by little, this evolved into our own physical center, uh, which is also linked to our own home. And as the title of the, the, the name of the center expresses, uh, the focus of our theology and our prayer and our study is the nonviolent God, the God of nonviolence, uh, who is revealed in the Bible as we, we see it. How did this book of yours come about, Tony? Well, uh, it, it, it's quite a thing, uh, this book, I'm Becoming a Priest. Um, the, uh, the initial title was uh, Priest Interrupted, and, and then one day I was, I was taking a shower, and then 
I thought, well, this is about actually unbecoming a priest, not not um, interrupted. I was getting away from the priesthood, but then I thought I realized the name has those two connotations to it. Uh, that is something not not proper to a priest, and I thought, well, that tells my story too, and that's what it is. It's a story. I mean, this I. I like telling stories. I I have written a novel and I'm I'm engaged in other ones. So I like storytelling. And I, a lot of people have said um, my own life is is a good story to tell. And of course they say when you tell a story, tell um, the one you know the best. So it's the best known story for me is my of course my own life. And so I I enjoyed and I've always wanted to tell that story. And I've been working at it say off and on for about 15 years. Um, trying to get the right tone and the right approach. But uh, I, I think I finally kind of, I don't want, I want to say I nailed it, but I certainly, I think I, I got to a satisfactory um, uh, style of, of writing, I think, and, and I'm glad to be doing it. The other the other side of, of the story, of course, is that it's the story of the priesthood and, and the church. So that's a very different thing. I mean, there's my story, and then there's the story of an institution an organization, the Christian one, that goes back uh, for a long time through the centuries. And so uh, you have to tell both parts of it. But the, the primary part really is my my um, own story. And I hope and I think that the, the reader can take what they wish from that story, because I, I try to tell it in a way that the reader can enter into it themselves uh, um, and experience some of the um, the events and the episodes there and make their own decision and, and um, uh, really go through the life there and, and have an assessment themselves of what it means uh, rather than laying out a kind of a kind of doctrinal thing, should we say. Tony, you open your book with a chapter simply called Trains. Tell us more. Well, uh, I, I start... Um, I start when I'm 17 years old. That's where I start. And then after that, I backtrack to my childhood, which, of course, is very important for any individual. But I start right at the kind of the crucial moment when I leave home, uh, my uh, family home where I grew up uh, at the age of 17 and head out for something called novitiate, which is the year of preparation in uh, a Catholic religious order. Uh, to become, first of all, uh, a, a member of that order, vowed with with the three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, to membership of of that religious community, and then eventually um, on a pathway that would lead to the priesthood. So it was quite a, it was a, a, a really huge moment for me, and something I've been actually looking, I won't say looking forward to, or not not really, but looking toward. For a good part of my childhood and uh, teen years, and eventually it happened. So I set out on a train, and and the, and the memory of that train journey is still with me. And I describe it right there at the very beginning, and I get I get a little bit into my life, and then I arrive in the novitiate in a different part of. I set out from Portsmouth on the south coast of England, and I arrive in a, a place near Bristol, which is on the west coast, and I begin my experience of novitiate training. And I described the characters there. I described some of the events, the kind of very weird life of uh, strict prayer and routine that you uh, that is then uh, uh, you as a t- 
teenager um, are obliged to and you go through, and it's, it's very, very strange. In fact, it's a huge shock to my system. But I went through it, and, and to some degree, I actually kind of thrived in it. But then after that year ended, um, I, I then uh, went to the uh, seminary, and that kind of changed. Things changed from there on. Um, and that takes me all the way through to uh, chapter eight, where I kind of leap forward uh, after that year to seminary. So in the meantime, there is there is my childhood, if you follow that kind well, of um, description. Well, I, uh, Tony, based on that, can we jump to chapter eight? It's called Lucretius. Yes, right. Uh, it is. Yes. T- tell us more, please. Well, so you know, in the in in the mid part there, in between in chapters, uh, well, chapter uh, three is a continuation of the uh, chapters two and three are a continuation in the novitiate story. So that takes you through those that one year of uh, preparation, which of course was a, um, a, a a momentous year for me, changing my life in that way from a teenager to a member of a religious order. And then I go back to my childhood uh, to describe the background. But then in chapter uh, eight, and, uh, I arrive in the seminary and uh, it's named Lucretius because I was living in a, a castle, a, a, quite an elegant castle on the south coast of England. Uh, and it had this Latin uh, quotation in great stone um, uh, writing. Uh, uh, kind of um, ornate writing over the top of the castle, and it was a quotation from this Latin writer from, um, I think, probably the the second century, and uh, it, it was a kind of like a, it was, well, in, in, in some it said, you know, it's, it's a great thing to look out from uh, the shore and see uh, a ship struggling at sea and know that you're not on that ship. And so it was like, uh, you know, a kind of smug um, expression of uh, and, and a kind of uh, fatalist thing as well. And I lived in this castle uh, that, that came from um, a kind of semi-noble family of the, the 19th century and the early 20th century. Various uh, aristocrats had stayed there. And so I was uh, in, in a place, again, that was very, very strange. Um, Odd for me as a working class kid from Portsmouth to be living in a, a noble castle with this kind of um, um, smugness about it of, of, uh, of being in a good place where other people were not in a good place. Um, but that, of course, that was just by the way. But I, uh, I, I did then do my first year of preparation at that, in that place. And that was the period. And so this is the the key dramatic element of that moment, that was the period in which something called the Vatican Council, the Second Vatican Council, began to have its effect in the Catholic Church. Now, if no one uh, is familiar with this, it's quite an important point in the whole story that um, uh, in in 1962, I think it was, um, uh, a a convention or a convening of all the bishops of the Roman Catholic Church was held in Rome, and it went on to 1965, and they were there to discuss 
the the current state of the church and, and make recommendations and decisions about how it should basically um, change itself. I, it didn't use the word reform, but it was basically to update itself to the way the world was at the time. So the, the watchword was aggiornamento, which is an Italian word meaning kind of coming up to date. And so the thing was, um, the church looked around at the, at the world in the 60s after the Second World War and said, we really need to uh, adjust ourselves to this very different world we're living in. And so suddenly this huge wave of change and reform and different practices swept over the whole church. And so, and that was the 60s. So along with what was happening out in the, you know, the secular world in terms of pop music and culture generally uh, and uh, the, the behavior of, of young people inside the church, there was a, a parallel revolution going on. So that was the that was the second shock. The first shock was actually going away to an investor. The second shock was this was now becoming a very different church, extremely different church from the one I grew up in. My guest is in Syracuse, New York, Tony Bartlett. We're talking about his Hi. book, Unbecoming a Priest. we got to take a break right now. And uh, when we come back, we're going to continue talking about Tony's book, Unbecoming a Priest. Folks, we're still working hard trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. Go up to that website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com, and uh, we need to hear from you. Share your thoughts. Uh, Get behind this. Uh, We don't know the timeline, but uh, we do know that Orlando has become a big city. And getting bigger every day and uh, ready to be a Major League Baseball city. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. You need to stay tuned to those call letters all day long. We'll be right back with Tony Bartlett. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Tony Bartlett is with us. He's in Syracuse, New York, talking about his book, Unbecoming a Priest. Tony, uh, we're now in the middle of your book, and there's a chapter called Dead Nuns. (laughs) Uh, Expand on that for us, please. Well, I, tr- I try to make the, the, the story as humorous as I can. Any moment of humor um, kind of relieves the, um, the, uh, the tragedy, shall we say, that, that I'm, I'm going through. But, um, I mean, you may have picked up from things I've said that, that there's already, already some elements of discontent in me um, and disorientation. I think it's more disorientation than discontent as such. But... I'm just really uh, floundering at, I'm, and at sea. So what happens is that, um, and which is kind of uh, appropriate because we were the, the, the first place I lived in that castle on, on the south coast of England was opposite the sea. Uh, but then we moved, and that was a very important, we moved again, and that was a very important uh, moment for my life um, because we moved to Heathrop College in Oxfordshire. So we moved north to Oxfordshire, and Oxford 
uh, in Oxfordshire, uh, not very far from the city of Oxford, about 15 miles away, was the um, seminary and the uh, teaching institution of the Jesuits. So from that point onwards, I was educated by the Jesuits in England, and that was very important for me because I got a good uh, philosophical and, and theological education. But where we stayed as a small uh, religious order, we weren't the Jesuits, we were um, an, another religious order by the name of Claritians, and we stayed in uh, uh, an old convent, uh, used to be a convent in, in the backwoods of, of, of Oxfordshire in the Cotswolds, and the the sign on the road said Radford only. That was the place where it was, a place called Radford. And it was very isolated, as would be appropriate for an old convent. But the, the nuns were no longer there, but there was a cemetery full of dead nuns. And so I, it, it's a kind of um, uh, kind of ironic comment on the fact that the only women around me were dead women, um, dead nuns. And that um, kind of, in some ways, uh, tells the story of my life during those three, three years or four years, actually, I spent in, in Oxfordshire studying. But, you know, even though it was a, a, a time of, um, of confusion and disorientation, as I say, it was also a time of study. And I did, do, uh, I did learn and I, I enjoyed my study there, and I did well in in terms of the uh, uh, academic intellectual world uh, to the point where I graduated and, and, and then uh, that all came to an end and we moved to London. So we're now probably at uh, chapters 10 and 11. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to go on to 12, which is called Rome, Ruin and Revelation. Explain. Yes, that's, well, that's, there, that is the key point of, of the story. That is the, um, the keystone uh, that holds the whole thing together. And um, it, it is the point of uh, um, where everything begins to change for me. And up, up to that point, I said it was disorientation and, and a good deal of loss, of, of a feeling of, of, of not being part of any kind of world, really, or a world that I understood or um, knew how to belong to properly, um, I asked for permission to go and study an extra year in Rome, and it was granted to me. So it was directly after I was ordained a priest. So this is 1973, and I've just been ordained at the age of 27, a Roman Catholic priest. There's still a very young young man, um, and I felt completely incompetent to be a priest, to be leading people in terms of what it meant um, to believe the Christian faith, to uh, believe in God, and to have a life of relationship with God, I, I felt completely um, out of my depth there. And so I asked to go to what I saw as the headquarters of it all, uh, Rome, and spend a year, or at least a year there, studying, and that was granted to me. And so when I went to Rome, that was a revolution in my life, because I began to understand and see the Church in a new light, not in a mythical or a kind of fairy tale light, a way in which a childish way of looking at things. I saw this this big transhistorical institution that had gone through many centuries, many di- different epochs of of human culture, and had its had its way of organizing itself. But little by little, I personally. Um, fell away from it. I mean, you'd have to read the story. You'd have to, I mean, you'd have to read the, the, those chapters 
for themselves to see how it actually happened. But I, I stopped some major practices of of um, Catholic um, religion. I stopped going to confession, and I, uh, in some way, I almost stopped praying. But right in the midst of that, in the midst of that ruin, so the ruin refers to the ruins that are all over the place in Rome, and and kind of dot the landscape and actually connect you all the way back to the ancient Romans, the, the pre-Christian Romans. And there's a, there's a great sense of that and, and the way in which Christianity as a movement uh, entered into what is called paganism, pagan Rome, and, and what a kind of shock that was probably to both sides. So there's some of that, but then so there's, there's that whole back history there. But then it was also my own story and I, I was kind of, in a way, ruined, <laughs> um, even as I just got started as a priest. And then, in the midst of that kind of almost despair, a sense of, so, you know, there's, there's a moment, a, a few days of complete, or, or weeks, really, of complete um, emotional numbness and apathy and not knowing how to go forward at all, and then there's a breakthrough. So there was an enormous breakthrough. Uh, the number of things uh, helped it to happen. And looking back, I understand more of uh, how that happened. But it was a spiritual breakthrough of gigantic uh, proportions for, for me. And I actually feel I met Jesus. I met God. I met the Holy Spirit in my life for the first time. And it, in a non-childish way, in, a, in an actual um, human transformative way, and that was that was the major event of my life. It, it was at that time, and it has remained that way. So, on the strength of that, I was able to come back to England, and at that point, I had no thought, uh, clear thought of of leaving the priesthood. I thought, oh, thank God, I'm now able to practice as a priest because I have some idea of who. God is and what God uh, wishes for us, uh, so I can tell people about that. And uh, and that is indeed what I did. I, I returned to England as a a functional priest, but it took that year, it took that year of ruin and revelation for that to happen. My guest is Tony Bartlett. <clears throat> we are talking about his book, Unbecoming a Priest. Towards the end of your book, Tony, there's a chapter simply called Spell-O, S-P-E-L-L-O. I want you to explain that to us. What's that mean? Well, Pat, um, that, there's another arc of time. So so from that return to England, and the overall period of time for the listener really is 20 years. I mean, from 73, um, sorry, from 64 uh, to 73, my ordination, and then 84 when I left. From 64 to 84 was 20 years. So the memoir basically tells the story of 20 years. But now we're in the latter part of that. And I re- uh, I did um, work as a priest, and I worked with youth. I, I ran a youth center for six years, and it was very successful in its way, and I enjoyed it a lot. But at the, at the end of that... Um, I took a trip to Latin America, and that was another turning point in my life. I began to see the world. I mean, I saw I saw the church differently with my visit to Rome, and I saw the world differently from my trip to Latin America. I began to see the kind of vastness of 
the planet, of humanity, of of the conditions people struggle in, and what the what the meaning of being human is. Uh, and so that shifted me and changed me again. And um, I was moved to a parish in London, a place called Hayes. Um, and I worked there as a parish priest or a curate, as they call it, you know, a, a, an assistant parish priest for three years. And I really, really didn't like it. <laughs> I hated it because I, I was already um, moving beyond it, but I, I still wasn't very totally clear about what I should do in my life. Um, but at the end of that, I asked permission again, or sorry, I was I was actually told that I should go away and think about my life for a year. And I said, well, I'll do it. I, I would like to do it in Italy, which I was familiar with from that first visit there. And there was a place called Spello, which is the name that you've uh, uh, repeated there. Spello is, is right next door to Assisi in Umbria in Italy. And I had, again, a very, very formative year for my life in that place. And I spent nine months um, with a little community, a kind of community of work and prayer, very, it's different. It was a different experience from the church or from seminary. It was an experience of, of a kind of, a kind of radical, uh, Christian life that, um, was, was really there really because you'd been called to it. This was where God worked with, worked with you in the middle of life, and I was there with a, a man by the name of Carlo Coretto. I mean, he is one of the great influences on my life, um, probably as a single individual, the greatest in, in, uh, influence on my, on my life. And his story is that he, was, he had a, a major position in the Catholic Church as a, a layperson. He was basically fired from it because he he came into the disfavor of the Pope at the time, and he went off to North Africa to a place called Taman Rafat in the Algerian desert, 800 miles from the North African coast, right, you know, in the middle of nowhere. It's like a like a moonscape down there. It's really very, very um, removed from ordinary um, uh, civilized life, shall we say. But there he, had, he himself had these... Uh, very powerful encounters with God. Tony Bartlett has been our guest. Thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Always so glad when you plug in here. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. We're back next weekend for more. God bless. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.